This is Jonathan Hansen. I want to welcome you to our morning television program, a radio program, shortwave, social media, wherever you're watching or listening. We're actually in our college chapel here at World Ministries International. It's a live audience, and it's our weekend service. I've been speaking on great anointing, the need for a great awakening. I've used uh, sermon number one, great anointing, John Wesley. Then I went to the keys to great anointing and revival, Charles G. Finney. Went to great anointing, the power of testimonies, Carrie Judd Montgomery. The cost of great anointing, Maria Woodworth Utter. And we used great anointing, Miracle Smith Wigglesworth. Now, some of you people have heard of these. All of them, and many more that were involved in the Great Awakening, uh, one and two, they had many things in common. And that's why we're looking at it. We need another Great Awakening. Today we're going to speak on John G. Lake, Great Awakening, Dominion. All the movers and shakers have all had one thing in common. They were obedient to Mark 29, 29 through 31. That's Mark 12, 29 through 31. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You will love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Key. Love. Without love, we can't move an anointing. These men and women were responsible for the great awakening, loved and chased Jesus with their entire being. They laid other interests aside, including personal goals, desires, ambitions, jobs, and even family to ascertain all that God desired for them. They were not like most Christians today who say they are believers, but they love God and they serve God. But in reality, they only serve God on their terms. I will come to church when it's convenient for me. I will obey God if it doesn't interfere with my spouse's wishes or family time. I will serve God if it doesn't interfere with my sport teams I want to play on or the sports programs I want to watch. I will serve God as long as he doesn't want me to get up early, too early to spend time with him or to stay up too late or to get up in the middle of the night to intercede for someone who he has just laid on my heart to pray for. We give God conditions. He doesn't serve us, we serve him. The movers and shakers, named in Hebrews chapter 11, as well as all the contemporary movers and shakers, literally put God first. They would lay aside anything or anybody that interfered with the will of God for their lives. They did not just sing, I surrender all but did not intend to surrender all, but they did surrender all. Many of them giving up careers, fortunes, and even spouses or families. Today, Laodicea Church doesn't understand this type of serving or sacrificing for God. They have replaced serving God for the love of self and self-interest. Hedonism, in its purest form, like what destroyed the Roman Empire, is in America today. Instead of being able to cast out demons, they try and counsel them instead of 
with trained counselors when many times what these individuals need is a demon or legion of demons being cast out. What we used to describe in many other circumstances is laying under the spout until where the glory came out. We need to be under the power of God, the glory of God, to deal with a lot of our hang-ups. We don't need 20 years of counseling. You've got to be so dysfunctional for 20 years. Uh, my God doesn't do that in 20 years. I mean, it's pretty fast. This is a song. Give me that old-time religion. It was good for Paul and Silas, and it's good enough for me. It has a lot of truth to it today. The denominations need to get back to the roots of their founding fathers who chased after the fullness of God and were baptized in the Holy Spirit with the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit accompanying their lives and ministries. If your church, you attend where your pastor only expounds on scripture but has no testimonies of the supernatural manifestations in his ministry as described in Mark 16, 17 through 18, it says, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up servants. They shall drink. If anything deadly, it will not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. The above signs must follow all true Christians of Jesus Christ. If your pastor doesn't engage or believe in this, if he doesn't have testimonies, I would strongly urge you to leave your church. Find one that really believes in the Bible. The pastor must be a true Issachar who knows the times and the seasons so as to warn the people about these prophetic times we are in right now. What must be done in order to protect ourselves and prepare ourselves spiritually for the battles that we are going to face and are facing. If your pastor is ignoring all the reality going on today and just talking about Bible stories, but cannot live the meaning of these stories as far as admonishing us to be real ambassadors of Christ and confronting evil and sin in our lives and the communities we live in, if the pastor has no authority as described in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, <coughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If your pastor is not engaged in this truth, I would leave the church. We're in serious trouble. The church is dysfunctional. The enemies are coming down to try to topple the republic. And what are we playing church for? Reading stories like the lullaby and the nursery books we read to our children? This is more than stories. The Great Awakening, people believed in this and they saw the miracles of God. They saw hundreds of thousands of people saved. They saw demons come out. They rose people from the dead. This is real. And it's the only thing that's going to save America if we get a church that is powerful with the power of God that Jesus said we can have. Luke 24, 47 through 53. 
that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. That was a prerequisite before you ever went into ministry, before you tried to represent Christ, before you even tried to be an ambassador. Go tarry until the third person of the Trinity resides in you and works through you, and then I'll continue to do my mighty works. I will continue to do my mighty works because the third person of the Trinity is operating through you. I am operating through you, and I'm walking with you. People don't value the Holy Spirit today. They don't tarry. They don't even pursue it. He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And there suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and sat on each of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, if your church is not engaged in the reality of God, in the supernatural, in the power of God, and praying for those that are sick and casting out demons, then leave that church because it is probably the definition of Ichabod, meaning the glory has gone. A lot of our denominations were birthed from the glory and power of God. And now people want to be respectable. They used to call them holy rollers, but they raise the dead. They cast out demons. They heal the sick. And what are they doing now? Send, sending you to the counselor. Today, we're going to look at the life of John G. Lake. One, we must have a hunger for God. Lake said, by the end of that year, I believe I was the hungriest man of God that ever lived. It was a yearning passion of my soul, asking for God in a greater measure than I knew. My soul was demanding a greater entrance into God, his love, his presence, his power. John G. Lake. You see this in all the movers and shakers, a hunger for God. Lake was born in Ontario, Canada, March 18, 1870. He was the first of 16 children. Eight died from illness growing up. At 16, he attended a Salvation Army meeting shortly after knelt down by a tree and centered, surrendered his heart to Jesus. He was alone. He knelt down by a tree. I'm making a point of that. You don't have to repeat the sinner's prayer and then not follow Christ. He understood what it meant to be saved. He knelt down by a tree and he accepted Christ. About 20 years of age, he had a sanctification experience, which strengthened his faith. As we continue to spend time with the Lord, we have encounters with God, with the Word, with the Spirit. The next year, he moved back to Chicago to study and become a Methodist minister. He was offered a pastorate, but refused and started a newspaper called The Harvey Citizen. Three years later, he married Jenny Stevens, whom he later had seven children with. His wife became ill and they moved back to Michigan where he went into the real estate business. Now we're going into the journey like we have in the past. How do these people move with their relationship with God? How do they become so powerful? Number two, divine healing activated in Lake's ministry. When Lake was young, he suffered from rheumatism. Someone from John Alexander Dowie's ministry prayed for him 
and he was healed. When Lake was an adult, his family took his brother, who was near death at Dowie's healing home in Chicago, to seek healing. His brother was prayed for, got up from his cot, walked several miles to help his father's business. He was healed. His brother dying was healed. Let's watch the journey. Hope now arose in Lake, and he brought his 34-year-old sister to Dowie's ministry for prayer. She had already gone through five surgeries trying to remove lumps of cancer from her breasts. Now she was near death and dying. While lying on the cot, she listened to the teachings of healing and was encouraged when they prayed. So again, they took her to Dowie's ministry. She listened to the teachings of healing. Faith arose. Says they prayed for her. The swelling in her breast went down. The pain disappeared. A few days later, the cancer turned black and fell out. Her mutilated breast also began to be made whole. So here they start to bring her through people that have anointing, that believe in God, that have a relationship with God. They hear and listen to the word of God, either through sermons, tapes. Faith arises, they pray. Lake's soul soon became awakened to Christ the healer through these miracles. Lake now had summoned to visit his oldest sister who was at the point of death. When Lake arrived, his sister had already stopped breathing with no pulse for 20 minutes. Lake arrived, his sister had already died. Lake, watching his parents, who were in such distress and wailing and crying, because now they've lost their ninth child, he noticed his sister's baby in the crib, now an orphan. Lake was deeply compassionate and telegraphed Dowie to partner with him in prayer. Within the hour, as they prayed for her, she rose from the dead and five days later joined the family for Christmas dinner. Hallelujah. This is people that believed in God who had faith. Three, we must contend with the Lord and do spiritual battle against Satan. Lake's wife, after five years of sickness, was now at her deathbed. Lake contended with the Lord and got so angry he threw his Bible, which landed open to Acts 10.38 which states how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Lake cross-referenced the verse and found Luke 13, 16, in which Jesus says that Satan had bound an afflicted woman. Lake realized the battle against sickness is really a battle against Satan himself. Now, catch that. The battle against sickness is a battle against Satan himself. Lake concluded that since sickness was tied to the devil, which meant believers had authority and dominion over it. That meant that God was not the author of sickness, nor was it God's will for his people to be sick. For we must declare the victory, our victory. After these revelations, Lake again called upon Dowie to pray with him in prayer, and Lake declared that at 9.30 a.m. the next morning, April 28, 1898, his wife would be healed. Now she was dying. They joined in prayer and made a declaration. The next day at 9.30, he knelt down by his wife's bed and called out to God to do the miracle. The power of God fell on her, th thrilling her from head to foot, and she was completely healed. The healing of his wife was a catalyst that launched Lake into the healing ministry. And when people heard of his wife's healing, they came to Lake's home, also seeking Prayer for healing. Five most churches taught and still teach a lie about God's views concerning healing. Lake started or stated how churches had diligently taught 
that the days of miracles had passed. Lake went on to say that believing this false teaching allowed eight members of his family to be permitted to die needlessly because nobody did battle for their healing, for their life. They just let him die. Lake felt that this lie taught by churches and still by many today comes from the devil. Lake worked for Dowie during the time as a building manager and ministered in the evenings. So at this point, he wasn't yet in full-time ministry. He worked in the day, was in nightly meetings every night. I hope you're catching the point, too. Nightly meetings, oh, I'm not too tired, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm... Nightly meetings. After Dowie's death, the property investment Lake had made in the city of Zion depreciated, leaving him nothing. Lake moved back to Chicago, where he went into the real estate business, becoming very successful. Six, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit became the most important focus of Lake's life. He had heard about it. Now, this is the most important thing in my life. Not my job, nothing. I mean, today it's just people don't care. When I was growing up, when others of you sitting in the audience in this room were growing up, I know Terry went to a Pentecostal church like me and Stephen, and they tarried. We tarried for hours after service. They don't even have an altar in most churches today. They don't, they don't, they don't even have a service at night. That's how backslidden the church has become. Serving hedonism, serving themselves. They don't know what sacrifice and serving and chasing God is all about. They don't know how to tarry. The only thing they know how to tarry is stand in front of the buffet line and wait your turn. After this experience, an anointing came upon him with waves of holy glory passing through his being. He testified of being lifted into a new realm of God's presence and power, where now his prayers were answered more frequently and miracles of healing occurred from time to time. Lake set certain times aside daily, dedicated to meditation and prayer. Daily, besides daily meetings at night. At this time in Lake's life, he worked as a manager for life insurance by day and preached every night. Following the services, he regularly met with a circle of friends who were also hungry for more of God. You know, you've heard me preach a sermon. If you fly with the eagles and eat with the eagles and talk with the eagles, you become an eagle. If you eat with the lazy and talk with the lazy and walk with the chickens, you become a chicken, a lazy chicken. He met regularly with a group of people every night that were hungry for more of God after the services. People that wanted to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost as the disciples were filled in the book of Acts. Lake's hunger for God increased as he saw healing released through his ministry in greater measures. See, he already was accumulating encounters with God and anointing was increasing, but there's more that Jesus said we can have if we want to be really successful in representing him. And Lake wanted nothing but it. He wanted all these movers and shakers. They weren't satisfied with nothing but all that God offered and says we can have. That's the difference. Lake's hunger continued to increase. One day he was walking with F.F. Bosworth and his friend Tom Hezareth, and Bosworth asked Lake if he was going to finally surrender all to Jesus. Can you imagine? He has nightly meetings. He's after the meetings for hours with friends, and it <laughs> seeking more of God. Are you going to finally surrender all? Wow, what a question. Lake was ready, so the three of them knelt right there on the sidewalk, and he finally surrendered all. In other words, anything you say, anything you do, you want me to do, I'll do. By the end of the year, Lake said, I believe I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. 
This is why he moved like he did. Seven, Lake fasted and prayed consistently over a nine-month period for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not, I'm not talking about nine minutes around the altar. Nine months. After about ready to give up, Lake was invited by a friend to an all-night prayer meeting to receive the baptism of the Spirit. The group had been praying for a whole year, but none had received it. Lake recalled, as we knelt to pray, my soul was in such anguish, I felt I must hear from heaven or die. Within a short time after kneeling to pray, I felt myself being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Then commenced the most vivid spiritual experience of my entire life. I was so hungry to pray, so I went with all the intentions of praying for the rest. But I had not been there praying for five minutes until the light of God began to shine around me. I found myself in the center of an arc of light 10 feet in diameter. The whitest light I have ever seen in the universe. Oh, how it spoke of purity. Then I remembered of something that had been done in my childhood and I repented. A voice from the light convicted me. And I said, I'm sorry, Lord. And he began to be purified. He prayed on his knees for four straight hours, did not even notice that the time had passed. Eight, another baptism encounter, electric spirit baptism speaking in tongues. Shortly after this experience, Hesmelich asked Lake to go with him to pray for a woman in a wheelchair. Lake went, but his mind was preoccupied with a deep longing for God. Lake stated, my soul was drawing out in a great silent heart, crying to God, oh Jesus, I long for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I feel so unworthy, so far from you. Oh Christ, if it's possible to baptize me, please baptize me. I'm so hungry. I'm weary of doing things myself. I'm sick of sin, sick of self, sick of trying, sick of working, etc., etc. Presently, a great peace came upon me, a deepening rapid in my peace that I'd never experienced before. A quiet of spirit, soul, and body. My being was soothed in a perfect calm, so deep and so quiet. My mind was perfectly still. I said, oh, Jesus, what is this? The calm of God? Is this the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Presently, it seemed as if I had passed under a warm tropical rain that was falling not upon me, but through me. The realization of peace such as I had never known. The rain continued to fall upon me. The peace I cannot describe that passes all understanding. This condition of peace was so great I feared to breathe. It was the silence of heaven. The saving rain continued to fall upon me. It soothed my brain. It soothed my body. It soothed my spirit. Would it ever stop? I feared it might. I said, oh God, I did not know there was such a place of rest as this. Then I became conscious of change coming over me. Instead of rain, currents of power running through me from head to feet, seemingly into the floor. These shocks of power came intermittently, possibly 10 seconds apart. They increased in voltage until after a few minutes, my frame shook and vibrated under these mighty shocks of power followed each other with more apparent rapid intensity. My forehead became sealed. My brain in the front portion of my head became inactive. And I realized the spirit speaking of his seal in their foreheads. I could have fallen on the floor except for the depth of the chair in which I sat. Again a change. The shocks of power lessened in intensity and now have taken hold of my lower jaw. It moved me up and down sideways in a manner new to me. My tongue and throat began to move in a manner I could not control. 
Presently, I realized I was speaking in another tongue, a language I'd never learned. Oh, the sense of power, the, the mighty moving of the Spirit in me, the consciousness that it was God who had come in me. Lake's friend had not noticed that Lake was having this experience when he gestured for him to pray for the woman in the wheelchair. Lake got up trembling so violently and put his fingertips on her head. He could feel the currents of power shoot through her. Lake said that when his friend went to pray for her, at that instant their hands touched. A flash of dynamite power went through my person, through the sick woman, and as my friend held her hand, the shock and power went through his hand into him. The rush of power in this person was so great that it caused him to fall to the floor. He looked up at me with such joy and surprise and sprang to his feet. Praise the Lord, John. Jesus had baptized you in the Holy Ghost. Knocked him off his feet too. This started a series, a lifelong experience of miracle after miracle after miracle, raising people from the dead, casting out demons, even to the point of taking deadly germs, deadly germs, and we went to Africa. Doctors said, how are you going to prevent yourself from being killed? He put the deadly germs in him from the foam of a dead person, and it died on the spot. And he says, the power of God, Christ in me, that's my insurance. May God richly bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Tune in at this same time, Monday through Friday, on this radio station for the next exciting edition of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.